0: This is the first time we encounter Jesus speaking in parables. It's a good question to ask, why does he speak in parables? You know, like, would it be easier to just kind of be straight up about things? To kind of speak the truth plainly? Uh, The fact is, folks, stories communicate the truth in a way that sometimes just giving a list of facts can't and our hearts are, are, are shaped and designed for stories. That's why we love, a lot of us love books and, and movies and, and TV a lot of ways. It touches on this desire we have for good stories. Um, and speaking in parables, speaking in stories, what it does is that it demands something of you as a listener. Uh, so the, the parable kind of usually has a twist of some sort where it leaves you hanging kind of unresolved. It's like you, you hear it, and you, you know, that ends, and then you kind of go, hey, what is that about? Right? It, it draws you in, and it, it it asks for some sort of response or some sort of evaluation on the part of the listener. And that's why Jesus says in verse 24, keep your Bible open." verse 24, he says, pay attention to what you hear. And then he says this, and this can feel a little weird at first, but it's good. He says, the measure you use will be measured to you still more will be added, and vice versa. The idea is, the more you lean into these things, the more you lean into the parables, the more you listen to what Jesus is going on about, the more you consider this, the more you'll get the more understanding you'll have Uh, to lean into it, engage with it. You'll you'll get the the meat of what this is, the more you kind of sit in it and sort of chew on it. I guess the trouble for us is uh, we kind of live in an unprecedented age with, like, instant communication, right? Like, never before in human history have we had so much info uh, at our fingertips at a moment's notice. And in some ways, it's fantastic, right? Like, with my phone, can. Right? My parents are in Thunder Bay right now. I can I see them. Like, I can just FaceTime them, right? They're right there, right? We can keep in touch with people around the world instantly. It's fantastic. Uh, on the flip side... Uh, our attention spans are kind of shot, right? Like, it's so, like we look at cat videos on YouTube. You know, like this is what we do. Right? There's so much out there, and uh, we're almost kind of useless with it. Like, it's paralyzing so much information, and for some of us, um, we're so distracted, right, by notifications and tweets and, and whatever on our phone, um, that we're so scattered. And I think Jesus' first word to us here. In verse three, chapter four, verse three is what. Listen, right? Pay attention. And I think never before do we need to hear that word um, more. Uh, I think we're we're a generation that needs this word more than almost ever before. Listen, slow down, pay attention, attend, attend to this. I was thinking about John in, in Revelation, where the, the angel tells him to eat the scroll, and it's kind of this weird passage, but the idea is you need to you need to get this into you. Eat the book mull on it, meditate on it. And as Christians, the it's a call for us is to sit with God's word and let it let it soak in and attend to it. So Jesus says, listen, that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pay attention to what he has to say with these, these parables. They're all about the kingdom of God, uh, which is basically what that means is what does the rule or reign of God look like when God comes to bear on a person's life or in society? What actually happens when God shows up, you might say? So, we've got four variables, right? First one's quite long, and then you've got the lamp under a basket one, and then you've got two short ones about the seed. They're almost all agricultural, so that's what people would have been familiar with. So, Jesus takes what's kind of common in people's experience and then uses it to like illustrate something that's true. And he doesn't give all the details away, you have to kind of lean into it. In fact, he leaves people kind of wondering, what's this about, right? They have to go home and kind of mull on it. So the, the, the sower, the lamb, um, the seed growing and the, the mustard seed.
1: And to listen, to listen to this, we need
0: ears to hear. This is all about our, our attitude, our willingness to pay attention, isn't it? To kind of put aside our own pride maybe. And to submit to God. Lord, what is it, what is it you, you are actually speaking? <laughs> what is it you actually want to say? And pay attention to that. So let's look at each of these, and we're going to just walk through them and, and think about what is God trying to say to us? What does it mean for you and me today? And what can we learn about it? Where's the hope for us in this? Uh, where's the gospel in this for us? Sound good? Make sense? Okay, good. First one uh, is the longest. This is the sower. Uh, starting in verse 3, and then he gives it, and then he gives all the explanation, right? Which is handy. <laughs> He's like, what? You don't get it? You guys didn't understand? So they're like, no. We have no idea what we are talking about. Like, oh, <laughs> you guys didn't spend this hilarious, but well, we oh, Okay, I'm okay, it's pretty straightforward, because Jesus tells us what's going on. So the sower goes to sow seed, and the seed falls on all kinds of types of soil, right? On a path that's well-trod, on rocks, on thorns, and the thorns are not like little bushes, they're like humongous, like, you know, things to know. It's really sketchy. You don't want to get, you know, it feels really dangerous, you don't want to get the thorns. And there's good soil as well. So the sower is sowing seed. This is how they would sow. They wouldn't really necessarily prepare the land in the same kind of way we would. Um, in many ways, they just, I think, seem just kind of scattered. Off of
1: not all the time, but in, in many cases, this wasn't
0: unfamiliar. Just sow it and see how it, see how it worked. And the meaning, Jesus says right up, is this. The sower is sowing the word of God. He's proclaiming the message of Jesus, right, for all who will hear in many ways, Jesus does this. He's the sower, proclaiming the message of what He's going to do. And you can also say that anytime someone comes up to preach or someone shares the gospel in some way with someone, you are sowing the word. The word gets sown. The message gets out there. And the message, which many of you know, is is this: We're God created us very good. He loves us. We're designed for communion and relationship and, and good work and family. It's a fantastic project of, of humanity working together with God and being in sync together and, and, and in relationship and harmony. It's really, really good. And we've turned away from God. We've rebelled against Him. We, we do this all the time. We do this all the time, daily basis. We turn away from Him. And it messes everything up. This is the problem of sin. is instead of uh, kind of plugging into the source of life and goodness and truth we say, I'm going to figure it out on my own, thank you very much. And when you turn away from the one who is life, you are turning towards something that's more like death. And as much as we try and figure it out on our own, uh, we don't know for it doesn't work well. But God in His love loves you so much, so much, even though you don't really deserve it, and I put myself in that passage as well, He loves me so much, He's come to die for me. And by Jesus' death and resurrection, he takes my sin upon himself and grants me newness of life, salvation, so I can be redeemed and given new life over now and into eternity. That's the message of the gospel. That's the seed that's sown as Jesus proclaims the message of the kingdom and as the church has tried to live out and sometimes failed and sometimes done really well over 2,000 years. This is the message we live out. Thank God loves you, and he's come to repeat you in Jesus. That's, that's the message. That's what's what being preached. Notice, though, this parable is not about whether that message is effective or, or loses its effectiveness, right? It's not about the seed. What's the deciding factor here? It's the soil, right? It's about what soil does this land on. And that's the determining factor is whether this seed takes root. It's not whether there's some good seed and some bad seed. The seed goes. The message is powerful and applicable and real. What matters is the soil. And the soil, of course, is the soil of your heart. What's going on in your heart? And so the deciding factor for us is, what's happening in my own soul? Am I open to this or not? So you have four scenarios, four sort of temperaments, right? Some hear the word, and uh, Jesus says, Satan immediately comes and attacks this would be like getting caught up in sin in some ways, or distracted. Uh, you're distracted from the gospel, the truth of it, and so you hear it, but it never takes root. Others hear it, they receive it immediately with joy, it's, it's awesome, but as soon as some hardship comes up, or they uh, get disgruntled with someone at church, or real persecution comes, right, when the status quo of life kind of gets threatened, and suddenly, uh, of the, Rubber hits the road, so to speak. Suddenly this becomes real. Uh, They fall away. Suddenly it costs them. They go, oh, no, this isn't good. Others hear the word, and it starts good, but they get so caught up in the cares of the world, in making money, or being successful, or looking really good, or whatever it might be, having influence and power. Uh, Those desires come and sort of choke up the word. And finally, there's those that hear the word, they accept it, and they choose Jesus, and it's awesome. And they allow God's presence to come and take root in their life and bear fruit. And so the implications are pretty straightforward, I think, uh, folks. What's the soil of your heart? What's the soil of my heart? What's it like? Am I receptive to God? Am I open to Him? Um, will I embrace and receive Jesus and all He's done for me, or not? When we allow that word to take root it begins to transform into our lives, and it grows, and it becomes a a lifelong thing. The question is, will you let this grow and take root Will you let a relationship with God become a lifelong thing, or is it just going to be kind of a flame, kind of a quick thing and and, die? And recognize, of course, in this, Jesus is saying, there's going to be all sorts of stuff that's going to pull you away from this. There's going to be all sorts of temptations and all sorts of persecutions, and all sorts of other things that could distract you. But will you embrace Jesus anyway, even if it's not comfortable? Right? Even if this costs you? Are you wholeheartedly devoted to Jesus? Are you open to Him or not? That's the first parable. What's the, what's the soil of your heart like? Is it receptive? Are you receptive or are you closed up? Then the second parable, which is really just kind of an illustration in some ways. Is about the lamp. Look at verse 21. It says, A lamp. Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed, not in a stand? Nothing is hidden except to be made manifest. This is scary to me when he says this. Nor is anything secret except to come to life. Thanks, Jesus. Right. Secret things come out. Super uncomfortable. Right? If anyone is seriously here, let him hear it. Perfect. What's this about? What Jesus is saying is when you let God into your life, he's gonna. It's going to start to expose what's hidden. It's going to start to expose what's going on in here. Because letting Jesus into your life is like letting a light come into a dark room. It's just going to naturally expose what's going on in this room. And you'll start to see things that you didn't notice. Like in the dark, you may not see. That there's a pillow that you're going to trip on and fall into your son's bed. You know? That's <laughs> You know, um, but if it's light, you see, there are toys on the floor, there's Legos that will pierce your feet, you know, there's things that will hurt you, there's stuff going on in the room, when you turn the light on, you see it, when the light's on, you don't see it, and that's what God does when he enters our lives, he exposes the things that are dangerous to us, even if it's the truth, put there ourselves, and he exposes them, not because he wants to embarrass us, or sort of, you know, write your sins up and put them up for display, He's revealing them, loving you, so that you can heal them and forgive you and cleanse you and help you walk out through it, and kind of clean up the house, so to speak. So the second thing about the lamp is like saying, are you going to let God, when he comes, actually lovingly address the things in your heart, the, the skeletons in your closet that you'd rather be tucked away? Will you let him, like, rearrange the furniture, you know? So you've set it up this way and you like it this way. This is how my life goes. Even though I bump into this table every time I walk through, right? This is how it is. Star. But Jesus shows up and says, let's move this thing. Let's move this thing. Okay? Now, trust me with this thing. And as he does that, as he exposes what's going on in our own hearts, he's, he's moving sin out and moving into that place. Well, yes. So that's what the second... The <laughs> you about. will you let him come and deal with the stuff in your life and that's hard folks it's hard for really to do that but it's ultimately for his own, for our own it, right, it's yeah. for our own good and I was thinking about a way to kind of illustrate this I was thinking back, some of you maybe familiar with Chronicles of Darnia Lewis's Narnia series and in Don Shredder*, which is my favorite um There's this this broad kid, this boy named Eustace Clarence Strump. He's just the worst. And he's just a rat. And he's just awful to the character. The whole time, he's just terrible. And uh, he's just rotten. And they're on this island, and he sees this gold bracelet thing. He's like, I want that gold bracelet thing. He puts it on, not realizing that uh, a dragon owns all this gold. And uh, once he puts it on, he falls asleep. He wakes up and has become a dragon. And essentially his rotten insides have now become his outsides. Right? He's become outside of the DR and was outside. So he's really not that different. He's quite upset about it, actually. And uh, it hurts because the ring he puts on his arm, right? His arm's grown, it's a dragon-sized arm now, so it's like cutting off the circulation and like early day in and it's it festering and like oozing, it's really gross. So he's quite upset about it. And Aslan, the lion, who in many ways is Jesus. Um, takes him up the mountain and um, he's really upset and, and there's this pool there and he says, okay, Eustace, go bathe in the pool. And Eustace uh, gets down in the water and he's trying to, like, scrub the scales off, right, to get well and get the thing off and nothing's working no matter how hard he tries he to undo his dragonness. And finally Aslan says, uh, the only way to get this off is if you let me get it off of you. Finally, surrenders and says, Yeah, okay. And so, Aslan take his claw, his sharp, you know, razor claw, and plunges it into Eustace's body and starts to cut off the dragon's body off the boy. And it's painful and it hurts, but it's ultimately for his good. And by the end of it, Eustace uh, emerges from the dragon, right? He's able to get the full bracelet off his arm and he's in the pool, and he's clean, and it changes his life. And it's this fantastic picture of conversion, and baptism, actually, is that all of us are dragon-like. We've all got this stuff inside of us, and and Lewis is purposely showing it on the outside, but we live like this all the time. Our sin and our ugliness drives us often, but Jesus wants to come and cut that off of him. He's the only one that can wipe it off of you. you, know, you know, no amount of scrubbing will get the dragonness out of you. Uh, only Jesus. Can. And once He does, though. Once He does, there's a good person there that He loves and is redeeming and calling to Himself. But it changes you, It doesn't change him instantly like real life. He still is a bit of a brat and he's learning, right? He doesn't suddenly now he's just holy. No, he's still like a kid, you know. But some things Exposed is the same thing for us. It's the same thing for us. Mm-hmm. Thing for us. Um, when Jesus comes into our lives, like the lamp coming in the garden room, he's come to expose the stuff to help us get rid of it, to cut the draggingness off of us, so we can become clean and healed Him. That's what God wants to do. That's what God has done. In many of you, in many of you, this is great, great story to be open uh, to what God wants to do in our lives. So, so far, summary. First parable, so we're in the soil, right? All of the soil of our human hearts. Are we attentive and open to what God wants to do in us? Second one, once you're open and God comes <laughs> and his rule and reign in our lives uh, shows up and we surrender to him, are we willing to let him deal with the sin in our hearts or the patterns in our lives that are destructive or you know, whatever might be the dreadedness in your life? that he needs to kind of cut out. So will you allow him uh, to confront that sin and expose it for your own good so you can change uh, and receive and know his awesome grace and, and hope and life for you? That's the second part. And now, finally, parable three. Three four are really similar. So take a look at verses 26 and 29. Parable of the seed growing. It says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, which of already saw, right? Got a big seed and just, you of throw it everywhere. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed spreads and grows, and he knows not how. It just happens. So, you know what this is like. If you have gardens, right? You put the thing in, and you're like, oh, it works. <laughs> hey, look, it's working, right? Just yeah, happened. The earth produces by itself first the blade, and then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once it puts it to the sickle because the harvest has come. Perfect. So Jesus says, the farmer is out the scattering the seed, he goes, he, he goes to sleep, he rises, he goes to sleep, he rises, and something's happening, even though he's not in control of it, right? And then harvest comes, and it's time to get rolling. So the, the popular expectation at the time was that God's kingdom would come uh, kind of instantly and all of that's be really dramatic. it comes suddenly, and God would show up and, you know, send Israel to right, you are good people and you're bad people. That, you know, this is kind of going to judge everybody and set it all straight. And it's going to be really quick and dramatic and sudden. Jesus is saying, actually, the kingdom of God doesn't look like that. The rule of God actually begins really inconspicuously. Uh, it grows steadily, even in the middle of adversity. But the kingdom that God plants will Reach a glorious conclusion. And when that time comes, there will indeed be a harvest. And are you ready? Because once that harvest time comes, it's it. And it's time to bring in what's been sown, right? The implications of this sometimes, folks, God doesn't work uh, all instantly or at once. And that may not sit well with you, but if you think about your <laughs> own life, you probably find that to be true. When God's been at work in your life, it, sometimes there's moments where there's a, a sudden change and God's done something fantastic. Um, but often, God is at work and things are happening and uh, we may not have always quite see it. There's something going on and we're, we weren't even paying attention to it. God has seen it fit to inaugurate his kingdom here with crucifixion resurrection of Jesus, but it doesn't, the kingdom is suddenly now it's all said and done all at once, right? It's been sown and it's started and even now we can live by the spirit and walk by the spirit. We still live in a broken world. We still experience death and tragedy and sickness and persecution and all the rest. Uh, but Jesus has come. The kingdom has begun. It's been operating and it will come to its fullness when he comes to glory. The time you have now, before your intent, or before the Lord returns, before the harvest comes, is to decide whether you want to be part of God's kingdom, or to remain your dragonness, perhaps, and, and let that rule your life. So God's kingdom has come. He's at work in our world, um, and we have a sure hope that Christ will return. The kingdom's growing. And notice not by human effort, right? The farmer doesn't know how this is growing. It just is growing somehow. It's kind of beyond him. And in the same way God's work in the world is he invites us. He, he participate in it with him, but it's not contingent upon us. Jesus will do what he will do. We get to be part of it, but it's not. Thankfully, all aim on Nicholas. Being the best Nicholas he can. Thank God. (laughs) Kingdom is not in Shabbat. It's on Jesus. He'll do his work. He'll see us through. And the last one, the parable must be a similar idea. God's kingdom begins in a small and unnoticed kind of way. Right? Mustard seed is considered to be kind of the small seed of the time. So Jesus picks this mustard seed as an illustration that the smallest beginnings can grow into something uh, wonderful and huge life-altering. Really, really good. Even though it may not seem like it was going to have that kind of future when it started. Same same idea. Uh, God's kingdom begins small, sometimes unnoticed. Uh, It's not always instant and dramatic, but it is growing and it will lead to incredible growth and fruit. And think of it this way even after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples say, So when are you going to come and restore Israel? When are you going to come and get this dramatic kind of rest of us politically think off the ground. Jesus like, you don't get it. That's not what this is about. He's not here just to sort of restore Israel's national He's here to restore the whole cosmos. And it's going to begin in the smallest and most unworthy way possible that the death of this itinerant preacher, rabbi, in the first century is actually going to change the course of human history in Western civilization as we know it. But beyond that, this is actually God Himself come to save the world from sin death. This is Jesus, the ways, is the mustard seed. And by His death, as He goes to the ground and comes back to life, we'll grow into a huge This is the kingdom. This is how it begins. It's small and noticeable ways, but in life-altering, life altering, life changing ways. It's brilliant. In fact, that when Jesus talks about His own death in John, He says this This is John 12, 24. He says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. Sounds like a mustard seed, right? But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The idea is this is how the kingdom begins. It's small and unnoticed not by many, but God is growing his kingdom to fill and bless the world that he invites all of us to participate in, to come, to repent, to believe. Receive the That's the heart of the gospel for us. What's the implications of all this that uh, wraps up for us today? Mark says, uh, in verse 33, at the end of this section, he says, uh, This is basically a sampling of Jesus' stories and parables, right? He, he uh, helps privately the disciples understand what it's about, publicly he gives the parable. Sometimes it's a warning to those that are, are on the outside trying to figure things out and against him. Um, but it's also an invitation again. Yeah, remember the stories that, that, that draw you in. Right? They're invitations to think about your life. This is why you have uh, Nicodemus, right? comes to Jesus at night because he's heard things, he's wondering, he's leaning into it, and now he, he comes with his own questions. To figure out, Jesus, what are you really about? And that's that's what Jesus offers to all of us. He kind of leaves it open and says, Now you think about this. What's going on in your own life? going on your Where's this for you? What about you and me today? A question or two for each one of the parables today. Parable one, I already said it, but I think it's worth saying again. In fact, I think it might be the most important question for us this, this afternoon. Uh, folks, what's the soil of your heart like? Are you open to God? Because he really loves you. He wants to come and meet us somebody. He really loves you. He wants to forgive your sin. He wants to be in a relationship with you both now and into eternity. Are you open to that? Parable two Are there things in your life that God wants to address? Is there uh, issues in your heart or in your mind or sin that you'd rather not deal with but you know is really not for the best you? I encourage you to let Him in and let Him cleanse you and purify you. Be open to Him, let Him do His work. In Parables three and four, right, the kingdom of God begins in a small, and unnoticed kind of way, tiny seed, but it grows to a large, boulder. I think my question for us from this is: How uh, do you maybe have trouble trusting God's time? I think sometimes in our lives sometimes we wish life went a certain direction, and uh, sometimes it doesn't, and it can leave us feeling that maybe we're let down by God. We've been praying about something that's quite <clears throat> it was I think what's important for us here in this parable uh, is to recognize God's at work sometimes like a farmer. I don't, I don't know what he's doing. I don't see it at all. But I can trust that he has good things in store, and there will be a day where I finally see and understand what he's been doing. You know, but am I willing to submit and let him do his work even if I see it all, right? This is faith. This, this is what he calls us to his life. Today. So I'd say, folks, let's submit to God's uh, steady, life-changing work, his timing in our lives, and invite him, folks, to, to do that work. He's not ready at work, but but invite him. Say, Lord, I want you to come. I need your help in my marriage, in my family, or at work, or school, or this friend, you know what I mean." Sometimes I think when we look at the news, it's hard to figure out where God is. It's easy to say, well, where's God all the time. And I think remember these two parables the mustard once. God's at work doing, doing what he does. Sometimes it doesn't make a headline. But it's real. It's after. It's behind the scenes, but it's there. It's there. He's there. And you can save your life Amen. So, folks, let's do this. Let's be open to him. Parable one. Let's let him forgive our sins brokenness, parable two. Let's trust in him to break about his purposes in the world. In parable three and four. And let's listen, Jesus' first word, listen, that we'll have uh, eyes to see and ears to hear. Uh, that he loves you. He's come to forgive you and redeem you. And he has some good things that's you. Uh, so let's pray to that end, folks, that we'll have hearts of good as well. That's great.